Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network and the 440 Sports YouTube page. My name is Braden Gall, and you can get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can find me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram, Aaron underscore Dugan. Talking season, baby. It is officially here, and boy, do I love it. Um, all right, a couple cool guests on the show for you guys today, and then we'll get to talking season because coaches are saying many things down in Destin, Aaron. Um, rate, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Make sure you check out the YouTube page as well. Uh, Cole Kubelik going to join us in brilliant Cole Kubelik fashion. will give us a complete state of the union with the Auburn Tigers and Hugh Freeze in his first year as they enter talking season. Uh, always love talking to Cole, uh, Aaron. He is fantastic. So we'll give you our quick thoughts on Auburn and then you'll hear a longer conversation about the actual depth chart, the situation, the offense, Hugh Freeze, et cetera, et cetera, a little bit later on in the show today. Perfect. Yeah, there you go. I already knew. Uh, right. Are you saying that I delivered the intro and the setup perfectly or perfect that Cole Kubelik is on the show? I think both. I do love Cole. Oh, oh thank you. Uh, also on the show, I had a chance. So on three, the new the, <laughs> the new recruiting service, not not really that new, I guess, anymore. Um, built, of course, by Shannon Terry, the same people that that ran that launched 24-7 and Rivals. I actually used to work for Shannon at Rivals. Um, I had a chance to run down. They had an event in Nashville where they had like, 20 of the top 30 players in the country come in for sort of an NIL elite series symposium. I had a chance to talk with, with, with Shannon Terry. If you want to hear that interview, it's going to be on our other college football podcast, uh, the cover two with Steven Lassen, which is our national uh, podcast. But I also talked to Grant Furking, who has been on the show is actually on the show. I think right after NIL was legalized in the state of Tennessee, he of course runs a owned at the time his own like multi-million dollar business as like a teenager. <laughs> and yeah, was doing it in college. Yes. And had as, to justify it to everybody. <laughs> as a walk-on athlete at the University of Tennessee. So even just to, and he'll explain this in the interview, he'll, if you are listening on the podcast app, you you will, or on the podcast, you will get that interview a little bit later on in the show. If you're watching on YouTube, we love you, but you got to go to the podcast feed to get the Grant Furking interview because he's, he's just incredibly thoughtful um, and yeah. um, a very unique perspective on what the athletes are going through, the questions the athletes have, how they operate in NIL, sort of his story about how it affected his life and his and, and, and we'll debunk some myths, by the way, about the locker room dynamics, which I think is one of the biggest misnomers that these coaches and fans are, are telling us, Aaron, that, oh, it's going to destroy the locker room because one guy's making more money than the other guy. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the analysis you come to fringe element for <laughs> yeah you're welcome <laughs> they don't well, call gonna explain it i don't have to but no it's not <laughs> they don't call her the greatest color analyst in the business for nothing um <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever called me that uh it's a movie quote aaron from before your time um, yeah so anyway uh Very no he the, the the story i always tell is is nick bosa uh, mm -hmm. who was like a top two pick, a top three pick defensive end for Ohio State, got injured in like the TCU game a couple of years ago in like week number two and could have come back for like some playoff games, chose not to, chose to sit out and get ready for the draft. And every single one of his teammates was quoted the entire season as saying, no, 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 it's okay. Go do your thing. Handle your business. All NFL players root for the guy who's holding out, even though it would mm -hmm. help the team to come back. No, they are rooting for the players to get paid Every player in the locker room is rooting for the other players to get paid. And as Grant will explain, they were already getting paid anyway. <laughs> yeah. He, he, there's one myth, myth he debunked that we already knew was. Right, right. Whatever. You get it. He, he's awesome. He's the perfect guy to talk about this issue. And certainly it's going to be a major topic as we discuss a lot of the uh, NIL and eight game scheduling and all the Destin nonsense. So you got an Auburn State of the Union coming up on, on the YouTube show. Uh, and, and of course, you'll get an extra little tidbit if you're on the podcast feed, Grant Furking. Uh, joining us a little bit later on in the show. Okay, um, th this whole this whole Destin thing. I love this event, but the scheduling issue. We're going to talk about that. I I know Nick Saban's where you want to start, uh, Aaron. So we'll start there. Okay. I I, I thought the because he talked. He's changed his mind on the scheduling. He's gone from nine games to eight games. Now he's back to nine eight games, but he's sort of like. Also saying like, no, I want to play all SEC teams, no group of five, no FCS. I can't really figure that part out. I, I think he's always kind of threatening us. But the the thing that really, and this is what you pointed out to me, he basically said in the same quote, like college football is not a business. It generates revenue, but it's not a business. And then when asked about the players 
He says they should unionize and be employees. How could you unionize and be employees and not be a business? I, well, I'm, not, I'm not sure I follow. No, I, I feel that. I think that he's saying two different things. I, I know what he's saying about from the university's perspective, everything that comes in to the university is is being reinvested in the university. Now, that does have an effect on people's salaries. So as individuals like Nick Saban and all these big time coaches, Kirby Smart might be walking away with more money. So for them, maybe it's a business as a school makes money, they make more money. But I know what he's saying about the school bringing in money and then the school spends that money on sports, on getting better, on a new stadium, on the other Title IX, like making sure they hit Title IX requirements, all that. But you've completely ignored the business it, it, of the athletes it, as NIL and you've ignored TV because there there's a million businesses associated <laughs> with sports that are rev that are a business and not just revenue generating to reinvest it. Well, but uh, no, I, I follow yours. I think that you're right to point out the subtle differences in the different categories, but what people, some people don't know this. Most athletic departments are separate entities, business, separate entities than the university. They are an actual separate entity. All those things you just said are all the exact same things businesses do. They reinvest in themselves. They they Silicon Valley is doing has been doing this for years. They have to spend money on the facilities to attract talent. Like yeah. this is to for Nick Saban to not call like I think it's complete bullshit. Like I I, I know yeah. what he's trying to say. Yeah, and I, I know what he's trying to say too, but I I think right. it miss it's falling I, on deaf ears. And I see your angle of like, hey, there is a subtle difference here between this part of the business and that part of the business, but it is and he's not wrong factually that almost every penny that an athletic department generates goes back into the athletic department. But that is but a also, business decision. <laughs> well, yeah. And there's also a bunch of people getting paid more right. in the meantime. Right. So right. you're making more money. Yeah, it's so. So it's I don't say so. So we talked about this last couple of weeks with like Saban. And I don't think it's the end of the dynasty. I'm not I'm, I don't think that um, I do think we are entering a, a, a interesting period of time for Nick Saban's career, because it is clearly going to end at some point, whether that's two years from now or six years from now. And now he's got a whole lot more crap to deal with. He's got Georgia. He's losing games more often. His roster has more questions this year than ever before. He is not really sure what he thinks about the schedule. Generally, he used to be very confident in these things and saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm threatening you with this. He, his phone even went off in the press conference, which he... I which he yells at us for in the media for ever disrupting his press conferences. And then he disrupted his own press conference. He's losing his touch, Nick Saban. He's he, out of it. He must have messed something up when he was cleaning the boat for Terry. Did you <laughs> right. guys talk or, about that? Yeah, I did not. But either that or he left, he, you know, he left his phone said, in Italy, maybe. Someone said, what do you think about what's your agenda for this meeting? And Saban was like, it's not my meeting. It's not right. my agenda. He's like, I, he goes, I am, sometimes I have meetings with my own agendas inside my facility, but I can tell you it's not here and it's not at home because I, all I've been doing all weekend is trying to clean the boat yeah. and fix things at the lake for Miss Terry. And maybe she was calling to tell him, you're right. He was being a little hypocritical because um, his <laughs> phone went off and continued to go off. At first I only heard it and I wasn't That's watching funny. and I was like, uh oh, someone's about to get shit on but then yep. it was him yeah so um i whatever. think you're at, and that's the that's the part that i believe completely because it is completely greg sankey's agenda that is taking place in destin right now everyone's commenting about it but it's clearly sankey's agenda yeah um, and absolutely we all know that who's in charge when you're at home there's no question about that um uh, so i i and i i've talked to this is not from sankey this, I, i'm just gonna say this right now this was not from greg sankey but i i have heard from i have Talk to somebody inside the SEC office about their scheduling goals. It is very clear that Greg Sankey, while he does not admit it specifically, dances around the fact that he clearly wants a nine-game schedule. Now, here's the wording that I used to someone inside the facility and basically just said, am I on the right track here, essentially? I said, the scheduling to nine games allows for more fluid scheduling to play more teams more often, which can then be sold at a higher premium to TV partners and season ticket holders alike. Basically, am I on the right track here? And I was essentially told yes. So all the obvious stuff that we think about the nine game schedule protects more rivalries, allows teams to float through the conference more often. 
adds more money, most importantly, adds far more money to the potential TV contract, which I think some of the coaches were commenting on and Sankey has commented on. We, we would need the money to follow, not lead, but follow. Um, you also have the, the Pac-12 has been doing nine games since 2006. The Big 12 has been doing nine games since 2011. The Big 10 has been doing nine games since 2016. So being a leader in the sport and generating better games at a higher premium for all parties involved is clearly their goal. Uh, oh, by the way, the one in seven model, the eight game model, while it may allow for some teams to be more bowl eligible more often, Greg Sankey's already said we've studied the data and it does not lead to more ineligibility as much as you think. Well, yeah. and, and even Vanderbilt, Clark Lee basically is like, hey, I'm I, whatever, dude. I'm paraphrasing here because he didn't say whatever, dude. That is basically <laughs> what he said, though. But he's like, hey, I'm like, well, I'm excited to see wherever we go with this. Yeah. And Clark Lee's the guy who would benefit the most from an eight game schedule. Yes. Out of everybody in the conference. That's right. And I think the there's multiple things going on and we can talk about, oh, you know, we could talk about pr preservation of rivalries and all that. At the end of the day that I don't want to say it's a facade because I do think it matters because there is interest in those games and that equates to money like you were just mentioning but it's not really about that it's not really about seeing more teams more often it's not it's not about anything except for money and money has to do with with television um i think with this there's like two things going on there's you play nine games and this is what i can't remember who was talking about this the most but how the college football playoff committee treats losses with this har this harder schedule is is going to matter because more teams from the SEC in the postseason also equates to money and notoriety and ticket sales and TV time. And then every, I don't know if everybody knows this, but it, most people do, I think, is that anytime there's an SEC team that wins a championship or is in the postseason, every school in the conference benefits financially. So just getting more teams in, whether it's Vanderbilt's like Alabama, do it because we'll get money from it. So there's there's that whole thing going on. If we play nine, are we going to be treated worse by the college football playoff committee and and yada, yada, whatever. R right. So there's one thing. Go ahead. Well, well no, because that's that's one of the most important points that I think the coaches have sort of said out loud this week in Destin. Multiple guys, uh, Kirby, Billy Napier and Hugh Freeze. Um, Billy Napier kind of just said, look, this depends. He said exactly what you said. How is the committee going to view strength of schedule? That is a critical component to all of this. And Billy Napier sort of just said it directly. Then Hugh Freeze went like a step further and was like, will nine and three get me into the playoff? <laughs> he just said like the specific thing. And he just said, is, yeah. is, is the third loss going to be because we're because 10 and two gets you in. If you're 10 yeah. and two in the SEC, you're you're going to get into the 12 team playoff because 10 right. and two is basically top eight in the country. It's mm -hmm. that nine and three, the difference between a 10 and three team in the Pac-12 and a nine and three team in the SEC, it, that third and fourth place teams in the conference. That's where Hugh Freeze is basically saying, does nine and three get me in? And I think these are all important questions. They are. But I don't know. Like, I, I think they're barking up the right tree and talking about playoff access because that does lead to large chunks of revenue, like you just said. Mm -hmm. I The only argument for eight to me is not let's help more teams get to bowl eligibility mm -hmm. and help the, the quote-unquote lesser teams in the conference get to more bowl games. Again, Clark Lee's already said, like, whatever, dude, I'm fine with either one. Um, now, that could be posturing, and then they vote no probably in the room because Greg Sankey has said he's not going to split a tie. There needs to be a majority, so it needs to be an 8-6 vote. Yeah. Um, and there is a chance that we do a hybrid model where it's like eight games for like these first two years to see how it plays out in the new playoff format. And then when the new playoff kicks in in 26, which is still the same playoff, but like how whatever modifications they make, then they, they see how the committee treats them and then they decide to go to nine at that point. So that's still this is very complicated, but that's a possibility well, as true. well. And the timing has a lot to do the timing has a lot to do with everything because I think in this particular case, when Greg Sankey is saying, and I'm speaking from like a TV perspective, but when he's saying that the money has to follow the money in a different situation, if the timing was different would probably need to lead. But in this particular situation, because of how things fall and the comp and the contracts going, you know, switching from CBS, there's like a, a bunch of different factors that play into it. So I, the money needs to follow, but here's, what's going to happen. Like thinking about like 
SEC network. So more games, SEC makes more money no matter what because they have their own network and they can support it. So that's part of it. But then also with you get to nine games, the money will follow and has to because here's why. There's not enough spots. So all of a sudden, oh, well, we can't get everybody in at prime time or we can't fit this game on this day. Guess what happens? All of a sudden you're playing not just the very first game of the season on a Thursday. You're you're seeing more games on Thursdays. You're potentially seeing games on Sundays, more spread out, more viewership because there's not competition. I don't know about and Sundays. Then, <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, but certain parts of the season, like the very, they're not going to only the first week. Are they going to ever play a game on a Sunday? I'm just saying there's not real. There's not enough space to do all of those games justice. If you have nine SEC games per year like in conference games, they're go- you're going to see, I'm just, this is my prediction. You're going to see it spread out on TV and the more it spreads out on TV, the more potential for revenue. No, I think, I think it'll be spread out exactly where it already is, which is it, it, Eastern stupid Eastern time, uh, noon, three 30, like I think it'll go. I think they'll be able to justify whether they really need to or not, because the schools aren't going to love that probably. But if they get TV time, maybe they would. But I'm I'm calling it that they're going to try to figure out a way to justify playing games on different days. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just all right. Guessing. I'll take a bet on that because I don't think that's possible at all. I'll okay. take a bet. I'll take a bet on that. I do think that they are because it's all going to be owned by ESPN. Like ESPN will own all of it. And that's so- right. But why would they not want that? No, that's what I'm saying. They, 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 but they already have all every slot in, on Saturday filled. They've got like four slots basically, and so you're gonna play. You're gonna fill up both slots probably with two games. One slot will have the one game, the 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 the, the, the three thirty or the two thirty God's time want, game. They don't want those competing. Well, but they they don't have like I'm telling you, the SEC is not gonna play games on Thursday and Sunday. It was not. It's not gonna happen. I'm telling you right I'm, now. Okay. It, it, now it'll happen week one maybe for sure. I'm telling okay, one and I'll Thanksgiving. Take the I'll okay, agree to disagree right, right. because you're also not thinking about resources, about talent. Like that's more of their teams being spread out. That's their biggest commentators, color, play by play. Like, I, I don't know what well, well, we can it's agree a hot on. Take maybe, but it's I, I think I, it will happen. I think playing games on against NFL games on Sunday is an extremely hot. I'm take. not saying just <laughs> Sunday. I just said that the schedule will spread out and I just threw out a couple days. Thursday think- or Friday would be more likely to me. I think what we agree on is that the more good games they sell, the more good games they have to sell to TV partners, the more TV partners will spend on those products. And the more good products you have for ticket buyers, season ticket holders, and ticket sales, the more season tickets you sell at a higher price point, and therefore you make more money both times. Uh, And you preserve the rivalries. To me, it is very clear and obvious what the SEC wants. Their agenda, as we got started with this conversation, is to get to nine games. Yeah. Right now they are clearly split, and we can get to Eli Drinkwitz quote quote on this, and I'll let you you lead on. Oh that. yeah, because he had an interesting he he got dunked on on Twitter for his comments about NIL, but his comments about the scheduling was, was pretty interesting. What, what, what did he have to say about his, the uh, <laughs> the forming of the United States? <laughs> his quote was, "Oh no, I hope I didn't lose it." He said, "I can't." I'll, I'll paraphrase. He said, "I can't believe that the thirteen colonies." God, I'm going to mess this up. No, you're close enough. You're fine. I can't believe that the 13 colonies were actually able to form a union when we can't decide if we should have eight or nine games in this conference. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. The, yeah. and, and it's and it fits perfectly because it's like, well, there's 13 other schools in the SEC. I'm going to say it better because I found it because his is funny. All right, go ahead. I'm a history teacher by trade, Drinkwitz said Tuesday. And every time I come to one of these meetings, it's such a slight. Every time I come to one of these meetings, I'm blown away that the 13 colonies actually formed a union. We can't <laughs> we can't agree on an eight or nine game schedule. It's the blown away. His verbiage is just too good. It's good. Now, he caught a lot of flack for what I think was taken a little bit out of context. Was that like, oh, these players are all making more money than my brother-in-law now who is a, a pediatrician or something like that, who saves lives. And if you read the entire context of the quote, it seems a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. He's sort of just saying, look, there's a lot more money in the game today. There's a lot more complexity in the game today. We're dealing with a lot more things, and we've got to figure out how to deal with all this stuff, which, of course, is everything every other coach is saying in just a slightly different way. And it is a, like, I think Sankey called it a freight train, or somebody called it a freight train. Like, there's just, and, and I talked to, to, both Shannon Terry and Grant about this, like there is no federal regulation coming on this and the NCAA has no power and the states are all completely out of whack and different on this. The only people that can regulate this stuff are going to be the conference offices or 
a breakaway and a national office commissioner's commissioner's room that makes the decision for all of college football. That is the only way this is going to happen. So uh, I, I put my case for nine games. I think I've made pretty clear on the show for like months now. I, I don't like the eight game idea personally, selfishly. I want more SEC football games and I want more rivalries protected every year. That's it. I don't care I about want that too. Yeah. I don't care From- about the money personally. It doesn't affect my life. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, everyone has like the top priority, just like in politics, everyone picks their top thing and then you vote on that. And ours is what our Saturdays or Fridays will consist of. And then for <laughs> another thing, but just before we move on, so because I know we've been talking about this for a while, but was it Kirby Smart that brought up? I can't remember who it was, but at what point would it be beneficial to miss the SEC yes. championship? That That's is... interesting, too, because you've got these nine physical games now instead of eight. And then do you is it even beneficial to be in the SEC championship or is that week before college football playoffs more important than actually the championship yep. is no that's the exact last point i was going to sort of wrap up this conversation on is that kirby smart basically said he goes the more interest and this is like i was like thanks kirby for programming the podcast this week like he's like the more interesting conversation is like is. Should, should we even be making the play and you just laid it out there's two major factors here uh one is the hugh freeze billy napier argument which is how does the committee view the extra loss and if you're 10 and 2 and you don't make you finish third and you're 10 and 2 and you don't Al- Alabama or Tennessee this past year, right? I guess in theory I guess it would have been Georgia Alabama technically going Are or maybe Are you about th- to say that if you're not in the playoff you can't lose the playoff? No, no. Um I'm just trying to cuz LSU won the West but that's because of the head to head and and the divisions. If they had been in one division, which they're going to be, I believe Tennessee would have been second at 10 and 2 because of the tiebreaker over Bama. Bama would have right. been third. Mm-hmm. And but all three of them get into the playoff. The question is, does Tennessee get into the playoff after losing to Georgia and going to ten and three? Right. Are they more likely to get in versus a ten and two Bama, even though they lost the head to head? Like it's that think- middle. It's that middle spot. It's like the the top team you know is gonna is gonna make it, and they're gonna have to play it, and it's not gonna matter because they'll have what one or maybe two losses on their schedule, even if they lose that game. Alabama in that case would have they all make it yeah it's it's the team below that like yes do you need it or is it going to kill you because now you might end up with the same amount of losses as somebody else what he yeah what he's saying is is so vague but you know what i mean yeah like the third place team in the sec last year with the new system would have been alabama at 10 and 2 Mm -hmm. that team absolutely makes the playoff no question about it if they go to atlanta and lose to georgia bad the way lsu did and they're 10 and 3 do they still get into the playoff? And I think that's what he's saying. On top of that, there's an extra week of rest that also factors into yeah. this too. So it's the extra loss and the extra rest. Is it more beneficial to finish third in the SEC than to finish second? Now, if both teams are 12-0 and 0, or both teams are 11-1, and 1, they're both going to get in. It's it still that, could matter for the rest, though. It's, no question. But, you, but, it's, but it's, you can't avoid it. It's about losing the championship game to get to, I think, to get to three losses. And Hugh Freeze said it. He's like, is the nine and three team going to get in? Which still applies to the 10 and three team. Uh Are they going to get in? And the committee committee has said a lot of things, Aaron. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, 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 you're fine. The committee has said a lot of things over the years and then kind of done something a little different. I think they're valuing strength of schedule moving forward. I think they have to. But there's no real evidence exactly what they're going to do because we've never done it before. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why there's a chance. A, we're not going to get any results this week at all on the scheduling model. Greg Sankey said it. Greg Sankey's like, dude, we got to land the plane. <laughs> I'm so tired of circling the airport. I know. Um, I think there's a chance that they cannot come to an agreement this week. Here's my, here's my prediction. They cannot come to an agreement this week. They eventually come to an agreement to table the nine game schedule until after two years of the playoff with Texas and Oklahoma next two years or, or next I think year. it'll take two years but yeah well but there's two years until the new playoff contract kicks in and yeah but that doesn't mean there's not a renegotiation at some point well no you're talking about playoffs I'm talking about TV that, well there is they're all it all it all is going to change in 2026 people this these two years are temporary the playoff structure is temporary Texas and Oklahoma coming in is sort of like a two-year entry period 2026 is when the new actual television contract for the playoff will start so we have this two-year 
trial period of 12 teams where we're going to see how the committee values things and see what they like and see what they don't like. So what I could see happening is the SEC going, all right, since we've got this two-year sort of test out the new playoff structure, let's see how eight games works, knowing that we can go to nine in 2026. I think that's a very real possibility. I don't like that. Selfishly, I want more good SEC football, full stop. If the numbers are right in a year and they want to renegotiate everything and they can lead with money instead of the money needs to follow, nothing's off the table. We've seen yeah. things, crazier yeah. things happen. Yeah. Um, the only other, what else did you make me think of? There's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, I lost it. I do inspire a lot of thought. That's true. You do. It's true. I really do. No, it's because I say a lot of words. Eventually something's going to hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, your word count is high. <laughs> I'm a 5,000 word count kind of guy. Um, tampering. The other one is like this NIL tampering stuff. And again, I'll let Grant Furkin kind of handle this so that you just kind of understand the dynamics within a locker room from the athlete's perspective. I think that's more important than listening to these $8 million coaches below V8 at a, at a, at a beach, you know, like, mm. I don't think it's as important. I think it's more important to hear from the athlete. So I'll let Grant Furkin do that again. If you're, if you're listening on the podcast feed, you'll get the Grant Furkin energy interview later on afterward. Um, all right. Uh, Cole Kubelik is our guest today on the show. He'll be on the YouTube version. You can see him there. Our, our conversation, a ton of about Auburn, incredibly smart, incredibly in depth, talks about the portal, talks about Hugh freeze, talks about, alignment at Auburn talks about the depth chart. I just, before we get to him, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Aaron, going into, I know you and I have had very strong thoughts about Hugh Freeze, the man, um, but Hugh Freeze, the coach and Auburn, the football team. Where, where are we at? Again, Athlon Sports, we have them 39th in the nation, seventh place in the West. I think that's a little low, by the way, if you're, uh, hang on a second, Aaron, if you're watching on YouTube, there we go. There we go. There's one right there. What? Doesn't have doesn't have Auburn on it, by the oh. way. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. But picked seventh in the West, 39th in the nation, so still above 500. What are your general vibes and feels for Auburn right now? Well, I mean, I still I know what Hugh Freeze is is capable of, good and bad. Um, but with Auburn, I still have question marks. I just need to see it happen. I mean, what has caught my attention is just how much how many new players they have added in the offseason. There's 40 of them, 20 transfers and 19 recruits. So he can get people there. Um, now, making it all work as a system, it does take time. But I think if anybody is equipped as a coach to do it, he can he's pulled off. He's pulled off miraculous things before with programs that we wouldn't have expected him to be able to do it at. So I think Auburn, with the resources it has, is it's not going to take long now. Can they do what LSU did in a year? I don't know. I think LSU already had more talent there. It just needed to be yes. reorganized. Yeah. Auburn is bringing in a lot of talent, but a lot, some people aren't eligible to play yet, even if like, like some of the bigger players that they have added. So I just think that it's going to take more time than LSU, but I think it's going to happen. I, I think it's very similar. I think you're right to say it's similar to what LSU did last year. It's similar to what Lane Kiffin did when he got to Ole Miss. It is this sort of wholesale one year tr attempt to like fill all the gaps. Yeah. Um, and Cole is going to break down all those names, all those pieces, all those places. They've upgraded talent, the Peyton Thorne situation at quarterback, Hugh Freeze, the alignment from the boosters. Why has Auburn always been like this? I actually, uh, Auburn, you know, Cole had a chance to explain like why Auburn sort of always acts like Auburn. And he had a really, really interesting answer. So I uh, always love talking to Cole. Uh, after that interview, you hear, from uh, if you're on the pod feed, you'll hear from Grant Furking about NIL and what exactly it's hap what you know how it affects athletes inside the locker room and everything. So stay tuned for that as well. Uh, that being said, uh, Aaron, um, after all that talking season, I, I can't wait to see what happens with the SEC meetings. Uh, but let's move on to our Auburn State of the Union. Here was our conversation with ESPN, SEC Network, the Cube Show, all these great things. You can hear his voice everywhere. Here was our conversation with the great Cole Kubelik. Cole, good to see you, man. A man who wears many hats. Thank you for giving us some time on the show today. We do appreciate it. How are you? Absolutely. Doing great. Appreciate you having me. So I want to start just right away, like from a player's perspective of why is it that Hugh Freeze is capable of such like instant success almost every step of his career? We all know all the other stories, but like right away, his teams are very, very good. 
What what is it that allows a coach to do that? And and what is it about him that allows him to do that? I think some of it's relatability. You know, he's he's been a lot of different places. He's been a high school coach. He coached at, at Lambeth University, obviously Liberty Ole Miss. So he hasn't Arkansas State. He hasn't always just been at the top of the totem pole. So I think he he understands different ways to speak to kids. And I think he knows how to accumulate talent. How, however he goes about doing it, wherever he is, he knows how to get guys in that can play. And he's got a good system that's proven that works. And I think they can put guys in position to make plays. So, you know, you mentioned some like being able to win right away. I think if you're if you're looking at Auburn right now, he hasn't necessarily won games, but what they've done through the portal has been remarkable. Um, you can make a you can make a really fair case right now that half of their starters are going to be through the portal that Hugh Freeze has gotten since he arrived at Auburn, and that's been this offseason. So it's pretty impressive. And if you can get guys that can play and you got a system that helps them make plays, really then it just comes down to can you motivate them and, and, and can you get them on the same page? Can you orchestrate it and can you organize it? And if based on what they've gotten, if he and his staff can do that, I think they have a chance to exceed expectations this year. I think most fans and most people who covered the Ole Miss situation, like, again, like players getting paid is now legal. It's not a problem. I think morally, none of us have really ever had a problem with it in general. That's something that got him in trouble earlier. Well, now that's something that everyone kind of has to do above board. Uh, how have you seen him evolved? I mean, you've covered him. How has his that acquisition process you're talking about? How has that evolved? Because now the things that he was doing, quote unquote, off the books at, at Ole Miss are now totally allowed by every one of these schools, especially in the SEC. Yeah, and I, I don't have details of what happened before, but I, I do know now that you know he the, the guys that are behind on to Victory Auburn's collective are just you know they're they're brilliant human beings and probably should be doing something a lot more important than, than running a college football or college <laughs> athletics collective. Um, and I think too, like when when Hugh got hired, um, I had my I had my concerns. You know, most of them were were sort of about him personally, mentally and emotionally, really more than anything else. Not so much the discrepancies. I'm, I'm right. Not really worried about that. I mean, I, I'm I'd be the last one to judge somebody for things like that. I've, I've I've had my issues in the past and been able to overcome those. So I definitely believe in second, third chances. Um, but you know, just how would he handle some of the criticism? How would he handle you know teams, programs, other fan bases that were against him? And you know, one thing he's been able to do when he got hired, I said, I think. I think Auburn football, that building, is probably more aligned, and this is a word that Brian Kelly sort of made famous a couple of years ago when he was hired, and now we use it all over the place, but it's a brilliant word. And I think if you look at the top of the totem pole at Auburn, you know, this was kind of their decision. This is what they wanted. John Cohen you know, went along with it and went and got him, brought him in and made it happen. But I think from the athletic director's perspective, with the head coach, with the power brokers and the people inside that administration – I don't know if I could tell you, Braden, when the last time that there was this much alignment. I mean, obviously it wasn't under under the last regime. Like, sure. no. Um, <laughs> you know, Chizik and, and Gus, I think at times there were. And then there was this, like, titanic shift in, in some of the power brokers. And then that went back. So you went, it was kind of a seesaw there. Uh, you may have to go back pre-Tuberville. I mean, I think Tuberville had it for a while. And then, you know, he became frustrated with some of it and it, and it began to break apart. Anybody's going to have some of it when you're winning. Like you're, I think really what happens when you win is just the people who don't like it, they just be quiet and they, they kind of, you know, they, they, you know, they shut the door, they pull the curtain say, we'll be back when, when things don't look so good. But I think there, there's true alignment right now. And I think that gets people on board from an NIL perspective, from a budgetary perspective, from a resource perspective, and it just makes people more positive. And I think all that's come together to be able to help him do what he's done so far. Well, they, they were all aligned against the previous regime, too. That's like the most aligned they've ever been also is against the previous regime. I find it interesting that like almost every one of these teams in the SEC, outside of kind of like Georgia, really, for some reason, Georgia has figured out how to sort of just stay aligned. And maybe that's why they didn't win for 40 years. But Tennessee, massive, you know. Once dysfunction. again, when you're when you're winning, the people who don't want to align, they go away. And Georgia's been winning a lot. So yes, yes. There are people that don't like it. They have found somewhere to hide for the for the recent time. Yes, there's no question. But it's all Georgia seems like a calmer program than everybody else in the SEC. Tennessee's got just nonsense happening all the time, and LSU's got craziness happening all the time, and Auburn's just one of those other programs as well. Is there any particular reason? This was not a question I was planning on asking you, but is there any particular reason on on it? Is it just the obvious one that you're in the state with Alabama that like that's the thing that 
that makes it diff- more difficult to find that alignment? Or is there some other thing that, that people don't know from the outside looking in? I think this is probably fair in most programs, but, you know, another thing that I've said before is, you know, they, sometimes we lose sight of, you know, we, we want people to, to give their money to our schools and our programs and our facilities and now our players through NIL. And sometimes a lot, a lot of money, and it can be a ton of money over time. And I kind of liken it to, you know, the old man that's super rich and he's putting the Instagram model on his private jet and they're going to Vegas and like they're going to they're going to prime or steak for dinner and they're getting bottle service at light at the Bellagio afterwards. And then he's like, okay, well, you know, it's the suites upstairs. It's it's time to go to bed. And she's like, no, no, no. We're going back home. Like we're getting on the jet and we're going home. He's like, well, hold on a second. No. Um, everybody wants something in return for their money. And, you know, Auburn has been very guilty of taking a lot of money from a small amount of people for a very long time. And they're always, that's always going to hit ahead where those people want something, whether it's a say, whether it's a person, whether it's a name on a building, whatever that is, you got to get something back quid pro quo when you're given that much money. So yeah, I think I think some schools learn the hard way that, oh, this is great that this person just gives and gives and gives and gives without realizing that at some point in time, we're going to have to answer to that. And I think a lot of what's happened at Auburn, it's happened at other places, too, is that yeah. sometimes those decisions that those people want to make are not the ones that everybody wants to make. And then the commotion begins and starts and it just you know goes to hell in a handbasket. So and, and probably a lack of leadership, honestly, like the. The people who have led have been made scapegoats. The people who have led and done a pretty good job. Like one of my favorite pictures I've ever seen was two years ago. I forget who tweeted it out. And it said, you know, maybe we maybe we fired the wrong guy. And it was it was Jay Jacobs at Bruce Pearl's introductory press conference holding his jersey. And Jay Jacobs at Butch Thompson's introductory press conference holding his jersey. And it's kind of like, holy shit, man. Like I <laughs> knew what he was doing. <laughs> So it's just, uh, you got to have people that understand how to communicate with everybody. And that's a, that's a place that Hugh will be really successful. Like he understands how to have conversations with people that matter and he doesn't belittle you. He doesn't make you feel like you're not important. He doesn't make you feel like he has too many other things going on. I mean, I can say that from experience. I bumped into him just a few times since he got the job and he goes out of his way to give me time, talk to me. It's not like, hey, I'm the Auburn football coach, man. Hurry up. What do you want? I got to go do these things. And not that anybody else has been that way, but because he does have that personality, I think it'll, it'll just allow him to go even further of whoever is calling the shots, he's going to be able to be on the same page with them or at least explain his side of why it needs to go one direction or the other. Yeah, put put people in place that you trust to do their jobs and then let them do their jobs, which is what Tennessee has finally done, frankly, after 15 years of not not doing that. Uh, by the way, you rattled off that stuff way too fast. I think you've been hanging out with Tom Hart way too long. Um, all right. Um, Auburn's offense, quarterback. What does he want to run? Like he he's He's been successful with the Bo Wallace-type player. He's been successful with the Malik Willis-type player. Two very different types of players. He kind of has two of those types of players and Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford. What what does the system, what does he want the system to look like? And what does it need to look like based on the strengths and weaknesses this year? It's there's there's such an interesting case study right now, Braden. We, we actually talked about this on my show with McElroy this morning. Um, that there are a couple position groups in the SEC that have made additions that look like they could take a big step. Uh, like the Ole Miss defensive line is one. You know, they go get the kid. From JMU, the kid they got from NC State, Joshua Harris, is he is a lot better than anybody believes. You get the former kid from Nebraska and Alabama, Stephon Wynn. I think that group could take a really big step. If it does, what does that mean? Auburn, you know, you got you get Dylan Wade from Tulsa on the offensive line, who's going to be a dude at tackle. You get Avery Jones at center, Gunnar Britton from ECU, Gunnar Britton from Western Kentucky. Um, and then you've got a Xavion Miller, a Juco kid who comes in. All of a sudden, that offensive line's got more talent than it's had in collectively, I don't know, eight, 10 years. Like, seriously. Uh, now, Jake Thorne's got his hands cut out to be able to get him on the same page, technically, fundamentally understand everything. But if that's a group that comes together, he's always going to be a run the ball first kind of guy. And that doesn't mean quarterback runs, but I think he would tell you he knows how valuable that can be if you have that capability. 
uh, wide receivers, the exact same thing. I mean, this was the, there's zero doubt that before freeze arrived, I would have labeled this as the number 14 receiving core in the sec. Um, uh, now, you know, you, you've gone out and you've gotten a couple different receivers from different places. One from Jackson state, one from North Texas. I don't know about the kid from Ohio state cause he hasn't played, but obviously he's got some talent. So you've upgraded that spot. So with Peyton Thorne coming in, if the offensive line's pretty good and you got this group of receivers that step up, I think they will be more of a down-the-field vertical threat football team. The thing about Peyton Thorne is he knows how to play the position. Yeah. He knows how to run an offense. And, you know, one thing that I love about him, and I told Hugh this when we saw each other at the Lutz and Kirk and golf tournament, I said the, my favorite thing about him is he's not afraid to check down. And Hugh kind of laughed, and he's like, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're exactly right. Like the kid – he knows, all right, don't do this. Just get it here. Let's take four or five yards and we'll, you know, we'll live the fight another day. Yeah. Positive yards is, is always good. So he can he can operate the offense. And so I think what Hugh probably wants is one that can be a run first offense, whether it's through the backs or a little bit of quarterback run. I think if 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 Robbie can can buy into it, he can still have an important role and give you some of those cue runs. But more so than not, it'll be a run-first play-action offense that likes to stretch the field. Yeah. Because if you go to any of those offenses, that's kind of what was at the core of it, is we're going to go vertical on the outside, we're going to utilize tempo, we're going to run the ball, we're going to make it difficult to stop because of how fast we go when we run the ball, we'll spread you out, and then obviously play to our playmakers from there. If it's Evan Ingram over the middle of the field, we'll use him a lot. If it's Laquan Treadwell on the outside, we'll use him a lot. If it's a mobile quarterback, we'll let him run a lot. So I think that's sort of the core of what they want it to be. And then depending on who emerges, I mean, it might be uh, Rivaldo Fairweather, the tight end from FIU, who's got a big catch radius. He's athletic. If he emerges as one of the best weapons, then they'll probably target the tight end 80 times. So, But I think you'll see a team that likes play action, wants to run it first, and is going to stretch the field consistently. Do you think all these coaches – are better at evaluating the, the the transfer players now because like every every coach has to do it every coach is doing it it used to be that if a kid went juco he went juco for a reason a lot of different types of reasons but for a reason and it, you just never knew about a guy now right. it feels like it feels like you're hitting a lot more but also quarterback there's a lot fewer hendon hookers than people realize you know what i mean like do, well, think, about, think about this Braden. like if you so if i'm recruiting Braden gall and he's playing two a ball in tennessee and you throw for 5,500 yards and 70 touchdowns and five picks. Like, that all looks great. It's awesome. But what do I really know? You know, I can and I can watch how the ball comes out, how you throw it, your footwork, your mechanics. But based on who you're playing against, what, what do I really know? Now let's go to, let's say, North Texas or FIU. Some people would say, oh, look who – against who? That's what they would say. But that's still college football. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that's – like LSU just got a running back from Notre Dame. He went like 14 for 180 against Clemson. You know, they got they got a they got a, a safety from Marshall who had like 10 tackles against Notre Dame when they played earlier this year. You know, Kentucky got a linebacker from Northern Illinois. Well, he had 10 tackles when they played him against Kentucky last year. So now you get to evaluate them in a college football setting against high-quality opponents, whether it's the MAC, whether it's Conference USA or the Big Ten or the SEC, I just think it gives you a much better gauge yeah. of what you're dealing with. And let's, I mean, let's be real. I don't care what level. If you are finding your way on the field consistently and being productive, there are a lot of other things it takes to get to that. Managing your time, practice, practice habits, taking care of your body, understanding the physicality, the, the physical, mental, emotional demands – so you can you can wipe a lot of that off where a kid coming in from high school, yeah. maybe, maybe not. You know, he sees Takeo Spikes or Jadavion Clowney over there, like, is he pissing his pants? Or is he like, no, I mean, we got the right protection here. We're going to be good. You don't really know. Right. So I just think it gives you a, a much closer equivalent to what you're going to need from that player than what you're probably getting out of high school. Yeah, I, I think that that's a perfect way to explain it. Um, at the end of the Gus Malzahn era, the Kevin Steele like kind of became the identity of the, the team. Like the defense became the identity of the team to some degree. I don't know if that was intentional or what, but it just sort of happened where that was where all the dudes were. That's where the stud status was. Those were the recruits. That's and it kind of became how they were winning games. W where is this roster? Let's say relative to four years ago, 
in terms of defensive talent. Um, you know, I had a chance to talk to Derek Hall a bunch of times. I know you've been around him. He extraordinary young guy, not around anymore. What what's the defense? What's the overall talent level look like on the defensive side of the ball? Once again, it it has risen drastically since Hugh and his staff got there. Um, Justin Rogers, the kid from Kentucky, is a legit SEC nose guard. Like he's a player. He's a real deal. Uh, the edge defender that they got from App State, I think, is maybe not going to be an every down player, but I think he's going to help a lot. You go get Keldrick Falk at linebacker, you get Austin Keys at linebacker. You know, those guys were probably better than what you had. Uh, and then you get some depth like Masil Nasiah Kite from Maryland. You get the Johnson kid from Purdue. It's taken a step up, but I mean, compared to some of those ones like 18, 19 that you're talking about with Marlon Davidson and Derek Brown and those guys, like, I still don't think it's there. Um, but I do think collectively they have a chance to have a pretty good group. You know, they, they've addressed edge rusher. Uh, they got the kid out of app and the kid out of Liberty. So that's two that at least and Elijah McAllister from Vanderbilt comes over. You've beefed up physically inside what you have to have to be able to hold up in this league. Uh, so I think that's obviously something that's going to be able to help you out and be able to be of benefit. So it's not where some of the better Auburn defenses that we've seen, like I don't think there's high end, you know, late first round NFL talent there, but I do think based on what they've added, it's got a chance to be a lot better than what it was going to be. All right. Well, that leads us to expectations in, in year one. And and you look at the, first of all, I've never seen the SEC this happy. All 14 teams seem happy. I, I've never seen a fan, like an SEC like this at this time of year going into media days where everyone is happy. Um, everyone, this is the healthiest I've ever seen the middle class. In, in the SEC, like teams four through 13 are all good. Every one of them could make a bowl game, Auburn included. Uh, you've got Mississippi State, you got Arkansas, Ole Miss, a and going to be better. Like this is a nasty division. W what is the right expectation for Auburn in, in the West where you've got really good football teams all around them? Um, is, it, is it fifth? Are fans happy with seven and five and fifth? Is that progress and a step in the right direction? Like wh what's the reaction at the end of the season? I don't really know if, um, I mean, unless you're first in the division, I don't really know if where you finish in the division matters much to fans. Like, I don't know if they're looking at, ooh, how many top three finishes do we have in the West? Like, I, just, I don't think that really matters. If this is a team that is competitive every week, and that includes LSU, Georgia, Alabama, um, it can get a game or two they're not supposed to, you know, probably, I don't like to put the numbers on it, but I think seven would probably be pretty good for most fans. Like above 500 would be a solid season. Um, I think most with what's been happening in the portal are starting to begin to feel like eight long shot at nine is feasible and possible. But I just think it, it's the organization of it. It's the competitiveness of it. It's just not looking sloppy, not bad turnovers, body language. I honestly think most fans will pay attention to those kind of things. Um, because we can, I can sit here and say, Oh, fans will be happy if they're competitive. Well, if they lose nine games by a combined nine points, fans still aren't going to be happy. Right. Nebraska is the only place on planet Earth where close losses the year before count as wins going into the next <laughs> year. The only place where they actually count that as those. I don't know. I don't know if Scott would agree with you on that one, but <laughs> uh, everybody in the media that talks about Nebraska yeah, does. Yeah, they lost true. by three or less, then that's they just give them a win for that the year before. But <laughs> I think being competitive in, in the majority of the games on the schedule and not doing foolish things to cost yourself games. Most Auburn fans are going to realize things are heading in the right direction and be satisfied. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like, you could finish sixth or seventh, whoever it is in the West, and be like a top 40 team in America or a top 35 team in America. Okay. By the way, this year, it's going to be Oklahoma. I'm telling you, SEC fans, by 0 and 5 and one score losses last year for Oklahoma. That's all going to, that's, that's going to be the talking point this summer. Uh, Cole, thank you so much, man. Uh, you do a ton of stuff. People can catch you all over the place. And, uh, I really appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Anytime. Always enjoy catching up with you. So that was Cole Kubelik of ESPN. Of course, WJOX, The Cube Show, SEC Network, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, one of the best voices in the SEC. And I think one of the best like player evaluators. So, you Auburn fans, uh, you, you guys have heard him plenty, but I think for the rest of the SEC fans out there to get a sense of where Auburn's at, 
the upgraded roster talent. I, I don't know how many wins it translates to, as we talked about there. There's clearly an upgrade. Hugh Freeze has clearly done excellent work in year one, but there's also uh, a very, very difficult schedule facing them with the best teams in the country all over it. So going to be a uh, going to be a large task for Hugh Freeze in year number one. I, I'm not sure I'm buying into Peyton Thorne just yet, but like Cole said, I do agree that he is sort of a competent um, quarterback who knows how to run an offense versus a, a player who's maybe learning how to do some of that. And maybe that's the difference, and that's the upgrade there uh, for Peyton Thorne. We'll see what happens uh, down on the plane. Should be super, super interesting. So for those of you listening on the podcast, I had a chance to go to the NIL Elite Series event in Nashville this week, put on by On3. They had 25 or so of the best players in America that were there sort of getting some some um, li- you know financial literacy training, uh, media training, Sort of think think through it like a like an NFL rookie symposium type of deal, but for recruits, uh, there's obviously business interests in it. Four on three, they're going to have some B two B business interest in this situation, but also creating more content for their subscribers as a part of this as well. But I really think the most important perspective is that of Grant Furking, who has sold his mulch company, uh, sold his big landscaping company, and is now. Uh, all in on sort of helping athletes through this process. And I think the most important perspective is that of the student athlete about NIL, about the dynamics inside the locker room, about pay for play, like all these different things that we are all concerned about and that coaches in Destin are running their mouths about constantly. Well, the athletes don't really have a whole lot of room to, to talk. Certainly the ones on campus don't, uh, unless again, you've signed an ideal NIL deal to tell your story. Um, so it's important, I think, we hear from Grant. Th- this was my conversation uh, with uh, who, who now works for On3, former walk-on for the University of Tennessee. I do ask him about Joe Milton at the end, so stay tuned for that, Big Orange fans. But uh, here was my conversation with former walk-on and former businessman Grant Furking. What called you into getting into this particular space where it comes to financial literacy, the business of college athletics, recruiting, like what, just tell us how, how you got into all this in the first place. Super unique. And, you know, we talked two years ago kind of on my story and how I was kind of first entering into the NIL era. It was literally, I think we talked in the first week of July in 21 when, when, you know, NIL took place, um, you know, literally on July 1st. And, um, you know, it's a super unique, I've ever since I've been an entrepreneur since, you know, 15 years old, um, I've always been passionate about like what made me an entrepreneur and the lessons it was teaching me at such a young age. Right. And like, as I progressed, you know, from 15 to then, you know, 18 and I was, you know, deciding where I was going to go to school, if I was going to play ball or not. And I ended up at Tennessee and obviously that was still well before the NIL era. You know, I, I wasn't able to ever say in the same sentence, you know, CEO of Metro and then also, you know, being a, a Tennessee student athlete, like I would have lost all my eligibility. Like Tennessee was one of our biggest customers and like the amount of, you know, conflict of interest paperwork we had to go through just to like make sure I could like be eligible the next year. Like there's just all sorts of hurdles. You know, if you want to write an article on me, like you had to fill waivers out and stuff. And so like it taught me like, man, like if there ever comes a time where I can actually speak about what I do and not in the sense for, you know, to gain profit or like as a marketing move, like you know, your average Vol fan here in my story isn't our customer. Like we're dealing with commercial clients. Like my, my defense always at the NCA was like, I'm not trying to get rich off this. Like, I just like, some of these people want to hear my story and like, I want to go out on the road like I do now and speak at, you know, business colleges. And I want to go speak in front of groups and share my story about like how you can be an entrepreneur at a young age and play a sport at the same time and all the things. And so when July 1st came around, I was like, man, like, sure. It's cool to like be able to share my story and how I've been, you know, balancing, you know, being an entrepreneur and, um, and, you know, play in sport at the same time, but it was like the principles and the, the values that it taught me, like the financial literacy piece, like how many of my teammates I saw get their scholarship check every week and just blow it. Like, and then literally like I was a walk on not getting paid and like, you know, they, they would get their monthly check and like be asking me for money the next week. And I'm like, dude, like I saw you just blow it all on Friday night. Like if you really needed to help, you know, pay rent, then like that should be a priority, you know? And so like it, all these lessons kind of started spinning through my head to be like, man, like once these guys are making real money now in the NIL era, aside from just their $1,500 a month stipend check they get from the school, like let's teach them real lessons, financial literacy, brand building, how to carry yourself different. Like you're 18 years old, you're an elite athlete. Now you're making money. You got to hold yourself to a higher standard. Like, what does that look like? Um, you know, you guys, you know, if you're making money in May, you got to pay taxes on that next April. Like, 
so you better you're you know you're to 99 guy you better you know keep enough money to pay that tax bill you know 11 months from now like that was all stuff that you know, they, the school helped with, but like at the same time, guys weren't out there asking, you know, for guidance and assistance from the institution. They would just kind of come to the guy in the locker room. that's their buddy. Right. And so I found myself, you know, kind of getting into this era just naturally by helping out my teammates was kind of on the, the verge of having an exit plan of selling my company. And, uh, Shannon, I've obviously known for, for, you know, a long time. We've had a lot of mutual national connections and he called me as like, great, you know what, you know, I'm about to start on three, it's right, you know, kind of at the intersection of, you know, what I've always done with rivals in 24-7. But now I have, like, Transfer Portal going wild. I have NIL. Like, this thing has a lot of opportunities to go a bunch of different places, from a media company, from a B2B company, like, in all different ways. And so um, I, I came on. Uh, we had a bunch of discussions. And I came on in August of 21, just kind of leading, you know, NIL initiatives and NIL education and, um, you know, kind of just being a public figure out on the roads, you know, speaking on behalf of the brand, sharing my story. Um, and then actually the, just this past year, I sold Metro fully. Um, I was, you know, partially sold out of it. And, uh, you know, I was like, Shannon, we have, Shannon and I have all sorts of, of, of plans of what we want to do together. Um, you know, on three, um, plus plus of, of like where this company goes. Um, but you know, the, the thing that's just super cool is like when we put on an event, like we're at right now with this elite series, like, this is what I've always wanted to do. Like, these are the 30 top recruits in the class. Every single one of these guys in here is going to make five, six figures in NIL money. Like, no one's educating that group until they land on a college campus. We have a chance to educate them, you know, before they even step foot on the field their senior year of high school. And to get them all in the same room, all expenses paid for a trip to Nashville, showcase this city, but also, you know, bring in folks like Olivia Dunn, Kirk Herbstreet, you know, Meta flying in from California, Vaynerchuk coming in from New York, like all those folks to come and talk to a group. And there's not going to be more than 100 people in that room tomorrow. Closed door, very special group. Um, it, it just makes me proud that these kids are wanting to come and these parents are wanting to come and learn and understand so they can help their son make a wise choice and where he decides to go play for the next three or four years. So I think there's a lot of obvious questions that parents, recruits, uh, friends and family are asking, and you have a very unique perspective to offer uh, when they ask, when they ask those questions, you have a unique perspective considering your business background and your athletic background. But what are the things that fans don't know about? Like, what are the things that are being asked? What are the concerns? What are the questions? What are the, the, the hurdles that maybe the average guy sitting in his couch on Saturday watching the game who is quick to make a judgment about all this stuff what is that person not seeing in that conversation? Exactly what you just said. I think people are quick to make judgments on it. And I think some of the people who were making early judgments on it have maybe walked back on them. I know a few people that have because a lot of the headlines you see out there, NIL destroying locker rooms, fights about deals, you know, guys being held out of games. Like you've seen that, you know, as, as recently as, you know, a few months ago in games. Like being in the locker room, like that stuff's not happening. Like if, if, you're, if you're an elite guy, an elite recruit and you come and it's rumored that you're making all this money. First of all, it's better now that it's so, so publicized. Usually when everything's under the table, you know, for the last however many years in college football, you never really knew. It was always rumored, hey, but you never really knew. So if a guy was trash or not handling the stuff off the field, like, hey, that guy's really making that much money. Well, you know, he says he is, I don't know if it's true. Well, now it's like public. And so if a guy's not handling his business, he's likely not going to be there next year. Either he's going to go in the portal because his life's miserable. You know, the coach are going to be like, hey, dude, you're never going to play here, right? And so it just kind of takes care of itself, right? Same thing like if you showed up and, you know, never came to work on time or you never handled your business, like you're probably not going to be working for that company next year, right? And so like all to say, I think people are starting to realize that like, sure, these are 18, 19, 20-year-old kids with a bunch of money. They're going to make stupid decisions. You know, five, six years ago, I was making probably dumb decisions at 18 years old. I'm sure you probably made some that you regret at that age too, right? And so yeah, it's Big Mama's Karaoke Cafe on Alcoa Highway, exactly. but that's yeah. neither here nor there. No doubt. But I uh, like I think that's why kids have, you know, started realizing, man, I got to handle myself different. And now, you know, these people that had these narratives on what NIL was and what was going to be are like, man, like sure, there's always going to be stuff that's bad with it. That's just natural. It's always going to be like that. But the amount of positivity we've seen with kids starting nonprofits, giving back, like all the things that can be done good with it, how to manage money at a young age. Like there's a bunch of life principles and just values that teaches that like we're going to preach to these kids too who are making substantive money. Olivia Dunn's made you know, over $3 million and she's going to go up there and say, hey, you know, here's what's important. Her mom's going to be up there on stage. Like here's what I, you know, help my daughter 
lived through. Here's how I helped guide her. Like she was in the spotlight. She still is more than anyone. Like how do I parent her through this? I think there's a lot of life lessons and guidance that can be taught to these kids and their parents who are going to be here tomorrow. I think what's interesting is because the coaches, not because of the money, I, we all know what the money is, but the coaches have the, the pulpit. Like yeah. they have control of the microphone. And so so often the athletes, particularly once they sign, aren't allowed to have much of a voice. NIL is giving them some of that. Yeah. Media changing, technology changing is giving them some of that. Yeah. Um, is, is there a need to sort of counterbalance? I mean, the SEC coaches, as we are sitting here down in Destin saying, this, you know, saying all kinds of things about all kinds of stuff. Right. So is there a, a do we need to balance that out with what the athletes have to say more? Because obviously that's always been how the structure has worked. Yeah, no, I think it's unique. And I think, you know, every coach has a different perspective on NL each season based on how their previous season went, and how their fundraising efforts are going. Right. Like if you're winning and people are giving money NIL is the greatest thing. Right. Like I'm getting recruits. I'm getting transfers. Everyone's happy on Rocky Top. Everyone's happy in Athens. He's like until it's not. Right. And then it's man, like we can't go up against our development office and fundraise, you know, then like that becomes an argument. And so, you know, I think I think in the in the grand scheme of things, like everyone is so anxious about NIL and kind of what you can do with money. And I think the a lot of these collectives are out there saying, look, you know, you as a donor, you can go give money to, you know, the development office and see a brand new stadium, you know, erect in 10 years. Or you can give money to us and we can go win games next year. Right. We can go get guys out of the portal. We can go recruit. And so I think that argument is starting to resonate to be like, you know, we're all pushing the same direction. Some schools are going to be splitting dollars. Some schools, you know, you have enough people out there to be like, hey, you've been given five. I'll give 10 now. You know, you know, if we're going to win football games, I want to sit up there in my suite and watch us win some damn football games, you know. And so I think, you know, it, I think everything's going to work out. And we talked about, you know, the counterbalance of everything, kind of what the argument is like at the same time these college coaches say these things, you know, they're going to be preaching a whole new argument next year, you know, based on how this next season goes, right? And so all to say, like, I, I'm just a firm believer in all these things, you know, and kind of a free market always just kind of work themselves out. You know, you're either going to, you're going to sink or you're going to swim, right? And, you know, of, of course, there's all sorts of pieces that aid in what happens in that regard. But, you know, the college football coach in, in a state like Tennessee or a state like Georgia's, you know, if they're winning games, it's probably more powerful than the governor, right? So if there's stuff that needs to get done on a state-by-state -state basis, federal stuff's not going to come for a, ever if it's not going to come for a long time, right? NCA is, you know, fighting for their life right now. And so, you know, are they going to make, you know, their mark known with new leadership to, to come in and have some sweeping NIL changes after it was, you know, wide open like I don't know that they want to do that so it's going to come to a state-by-state -state basis and just like in anything I mean it, it's going to become competition if if you know if some state's doing something the next one's going to match it all right we'll let you go uh thank you so much but um have you ever lost any skin catching a football from Joe Milton um no I don't think so because I think I just dropped it I don't even think it like touched my hands that I know seriously I mean that guy first of all one of my best friends um beyond incredible dude um, he's gonna have so much success him, you know, being under Hendon's wing for the last two years, Hendon kind of molding and sculpting him to, to what he is today. Um, a more mature version of what you saw, you know, 18 months ago when, when he let off. And, uh, you know, I, I'm so excited for them because between hype and, you know, all the, all the guys over there and kind of them being around and being in, in that offense for now, you know, coming up on the third season, like, I'm just so excited for him to finally like let it rip and all the prep and, you know, guidance he's gotten from guys like Hendon over the last two years to go out and actually showcase that. And I'm, like for I know like there's not a more proud person out there that's excited to go and watch Joe than Hendon. Like it, it's a special bond. You know, I love Joe. I love Hendon. Like so proud of those guys. And like I just can't wait to them go see him rip it right here in Nashville. First game. It's gonna be awesome. Thanks, sir. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Aaron, uh, Grant Furking there. If you're on the pod feed, Cole Kubelik, uh, of course, as well. We do appreciate his time. Um, I, I Talking season's here, dude. Like, SEC Media Days is going to be in Nashville in, like, six weeks. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're already off and running. It's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Everybody's, everybody's so happy in this conference. It's so weird. It's like re-energizing, like re even though it's not games going on. It's still drama and excitement. So it kind of, like, gives you that boost you need to get through the next two months it's magazine oh, season look. 
It's magazine, it is magazine season. season. Give me one of those. Magaz- I told you, come get it, man. You can come get it anytime you want. Magazine season is here. Athlonsports.com, of course, if you want the mag. Stephen Lassen works very hard on this. And uh, Which one did you get me? Which co- They all have different covers if you aren't familiar with Athlon Sports Magazine. So your, your favorite team may be on the cover. I'm not sure my favorite team still is on a cover. Okay. Brandon Maybe not. saying no. Maybe not. Vigorously shaking his head. Which uh, which one did you get me? There are a handful of SEC. I think there's like three different SEC covers. Okay. I got you. I got you. So I got you one with Notre Dame on it. <laughs> are they regional? <laughs> they're, yeah, Is they're it like, like Auburn, like, Alabama. Well, no, there's like a Pac-12 one with like a couple different Pac-12 ones, a couple different SEC ones, a couple different Big Ten ones, a couple okay. different Big Twelve ones, a couple different ACC ones, and then okay. I got you, and I got you a Notre Dame one. So. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's the closest thing. Since Clark Lee was talking all about Notre Dame this week down at Destin. Perfect way to wrap up the show. Uh, Special thanks to everybody who hung out with us this week on the show, Cole and Grant. Uh, You can follow Aaron at the Aaron Dugan on Twitter if you want. She's never really on there. Go to at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can get to me at Braden Gall at 440 Sports as well. Uh, Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, Like us on the YouTube page. Like us uh, on all the other platforms. We do appreciate your support. So thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. This has been Fringe Element right here on the 440 Sports Network. Peace.